Welcome back to this week's episode of Techspansive. I'm Sean Dubrovac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. This week, Microsoft hosted their big fall event. Uh, you could argue it was the, the Surface event. I actually don't know what, what they called it, but uh, they did introduce a number of Surface products. Uh, just listing through some of those, we saw the Surface Pro 8, which has a 13-inch edge-to-edge 120 hertz display. It has Thunderbolt 4. It's got a, a Surface Slim Pin 2 uh, kind of docked right in in the keyboard, kind of slick uh, design there. Uh, we did see that uh, it was one of the announcements they also made. They announced the $130 Surface Slim Pin 2. It has haptic feedback, battery life of, of 15 hours. One of the big announcements, of course, was the uh, unveiling of their Surface Laptop Studio, which is replacing the Surface Book. It had a 14.4-inch uh, display, 120 hertz, and it can slide into multiple positions. So you can use it in traditional laptop form, or you can uh, collapse it using a uh, hinge and use it in tablet form. Or if you want something kind of in between, you can have it dock right over the keyboard and... Uh, you can kind of use it as a uh, as a display, and they showed people with Xbox controllers using it as a as a kind of lean back uh, display. Uh, we had a couple of other announcements as well. They unveiled the Surface Duo Two with uh, eight point three inch dual displays and uh, three 12 megapixel rear cameras. So uh, they continue to to push on that. But the the big announcement probably was the Surface Laptop Studio. Yeah, uh, so uh, as you noted, Sean, this uh, this replaces the Surface Book 3, uh, which was a, a detachable device. Um, had a very weird hinge uh, that really didn't allow the top half of the device to close completely onto the, uh, to close completely level onto the bottom half of the device. So when you had it in a bag, Lots of lint and other things would, you know, tend to creep in there. A lot of people didn't like that, and uh, you had to press this button before you took the uh, took the screen off. Uh, the new product, uh, like like the Surface Book, is definitely intended for creative professionals. Uh, it has uh, a Nvidia uh, three hundred and fifty Ti uh, uh, graphics uh, card. Uh, so very, very good graphics performance. Uh, but of course, the big change is the uh, form factor. And this is uh, sometimes referred to as a pull-forward uh, convertible. And, and Microsoft made note of uh, some of the emotional impact of pulling the screen close to you, sort of a, a lean-in dynamic. Uh, uh, and so, you know, it, when, when it's fully opened, it's virtually uh, indistinguishable from from a laptop actually looks a lot like the MacBook uh, Pro uh, with the black uh, screen border and the uh, silver uh, keyboard deck and uh, when it's you know fully fully down there's still this little bit of an incline to work on uh, and then the middle stage if you will uh, is just the screen kind of pulled forward 
uh, over the keyboard. So you don't have access to the keyboard in what, what they call stage mode. Uh, you can still use the trackpad. And, uh, you know, this kind of style of, of device is, is uh, again, sometimes called a pull-forward uh, notebook. There have been other companies that have, uh, that have done it. Uh, HP, in fact, uh, introduced a, a product with that kind of design earlier this year uh, called the Elite Folio, uh, but a very different kind of uh, product, really. Uh, it had a Qualcomm processor. It was really designed for this ultra-mobile uh, kind of uh, usage scenario, uh, whereas, again, this is a high-end device uh, really aimed at, uh, at creative professionals. So uh, I, I think that one of the reasons Microsoft made this switch uh, is because it's keeping a bit more in terms of what are the strengths of Windows 11, uh, which you know, they're, they're working on the touch functionality, they're trying to improve it, uh, but it's still nowhere near as natural a touch experience as you would find on an iPad uh, or, you know, even an Android tablet. Uh, however, it is well, you know, relatively well suited to this desktop use scenario. So instead of just like taking the screen off as you could with the uh, Surface Book uh, 3, and in fact, when you did that, you lost access to the uh, graphic uh, acceleration, uh, the GPU acceleration. Uh, here, you cannot remove the screen, uh, but, uh, but you always have access to that. Uh, and, uh, and they even found a place sort of under uh, the, the lip of the lower deck, if you will, uh, to store that, um, that Slim Pen 2 uh, that they have integrated across the the product line uh, after the first generation made its debut in the uh, in the Surface Pro X. Uh, I, I think, as is always the case with with the Surface products, you know, the question is uh, how often, and you know, even Windows PCs in general, how often will people use this two-in-one uh, functionality? You know, it seems to be uh, something that is used relatively infrequently, uh, but uh, but certainly if you're an artist, uh, they talked about the app uh, Adobe Fresco a lot. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's something very, very natural for you. And uh, Microsoft needs to communicate uh, what are some, what might be some of the broader advantages of, uh, you know, of, of being able to, to use the pen and and use the device in in at least this kind of flat uh, configuration that that it's capable of. I really like the the pen. I think um, you know it's a really interesting feature. I like that it docks right into the the keyboard, so it's right there when you want it. I think that's one of the great struggles with stylus is that we tend to you not have them. them. Yeah, well, you lose them, right? Or you don't have them right there with the device. So being able to have it essentially attached to the devices uh, is nice. Uh, it's clear to me after this week's events that, you know, Microsoft still remains quite committed to the hardware category and really is just beginning. Uh, they're trying to continue to innovate in this space that it, it, you see that with the Surface Duo 2 and, uh, you know, trying to develop that category of of multi-display devices the surface laptop studio was a nice iteration off of what a, a tablet is what a you know a hybrid laptop is 
And so they're they're constantly looking for new new use case scenarios. In the past, Microsoft did a pretty good job of doing these reference devices, prototype devices, and putting them out there to highlight what was possible with Windows and what what could be done. And they would rely on their hardware partners to then take up the the you know the race and bring it to market. Uh, and so we didn't see a lot of those prototype devices, those reference devices come to market. And uh, I think that's part of what drove Microsoft into into becoming a hardware vendor. And uh, I think they're going to you know continue to to push in that space and uh, try to develop it out and be a real player in the space. And they have a great opportunity to grow their market share. Yeah, a big part of uh, what they've tried to do is uh, this form factor uh, innovation. You mentioned the uh, Surface Duo 2. Uh, first generation product was very interesting, but you know, it didn't have 5G. It, its camera was terrible. Uh, so uh, it really wasn't very practical uh, as a primary phone uh, for for people, especially at that price point, you know, competing with the top of the line from Apple and uh, and Samsung, uh, with the with the new model, they have um, uh, they've added a a camera cluster uh, like you see on uh, on you know the uh, higher end uh, phones, uh, Android phones, and and the iPhone, uh, and so uh, you know they 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 may not. Uh, be at the top of the imaging heap, but they're they're certainly doing a lot better. Uh, where the photos you take will be um, uh, presentable and and the kind of thing you would you know want to want to trust your your memories to. You know, it's also really relevant for the corporate market. Uh, you know, you want to be able to take high quality images of of documents, uh, or if you're a real estate professional, you want to be able to capture. Uh, good-looking photos of, of a property. If you're a claims adjuster, you know you want to be able to take accurate photos, uh, even in relatively low light of of what might be an accident. Uh, so imaging is really important for for that market, uh, which uh, which Microsoft uh, is uh, is very very interested in. I would say the other thing that Microsoft has really done uh, with the Surface line uh, with the attention to detail and the quality and and the various form factors they've tried and again the surface book 3 you know the surface book shows that they're not going to necessarily get everything right you know uh, microsoft has a reputation for taking a few generations sometimes to get things going in a good direction uh, and of course surface you know had a very slow start uh, but uh, but it's definitely a business now uh, it's it's not a hobby and the thing, you know, the other thing that they've done in trying to take on Apple uh, is to raise uh, Windows uh, PC average prices and and inspire the top, you know, their top tier OEMs, uh, which is still a much bigger business for Microsoft than Surface, you know, licensing to HP, Dell, Lenovo, uh, and, and the other manufacturers. Uh, to uh, you know, be more aggressive, use better materials. Uh, uh, it's kind of funny because it's it's a lot of the same uh, kinds of challenges that the the Chromebook crowd is facing now. You know, they started out with all these three hundred dollar devices, and now Google is is trying to work with um, PC companies to 
to try to use better materials, more interesting form factors, more premium design, uh, better wireless connectivity, uh, all, all of the things that you would expect out of a higher end device. So uh, I would say, you know, good showing for for Microsoft. Uh, you know, there weren't a lot of changes on a lot of the models, uh, but, um, you know, the laptop studio is, is definitely the most interesting thing from the PC side. And while, you know, Surface Duo, uh, I would still say, a lot of experimentation going on there. Uh, definitely uh, a more practical option uh, for people who, who want to try that. And Sean, to your, our, our discussion about uh, losing the stylus, uh, Microsoft came out with a little like cover for <laughs> the Surface Duo 2 uh, that the stylus can magnetically uh, snap to. Uh, so, uh, so if you want to use the stylus with the, with the Duo 2, there's uh, there's less of a chance of uh, of losing it. We had a lot of uh, social networking news this week as well. We saw that uh, Twitter is integrating Strikes Wallet, which will let users receive tips in Bitcoin. They're uh, rolling out tips globally on iOS, and we'll uh, also explore support for NFT authentication. Uh, Twitter is constantly looking at uh, how they can reward those individuals who are who are active on their platform and uh, ultimately are the you know the if you will the Twitter influencers the ones that have the the big audiences how they can keep them engaged on Twitter and in some ways I think it probably shows a, a maturing of Twitter when they recognize it isn't enough just to be part of the community, but they want to have a way in which some of these users can be compensated so that they'll stay on Twitter and not move to some of the other platforms that are competing for our time and attention. Uh, So Twitter constantly experimenting with how to uh, allow some users to, to essentially be compensated, whether that's through offering certain exclusive content to your followers and, and charging for that, or in this instance, super followers. being able to, yeah, super followers, or in this instance, being able to receive tips. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's great, uh, or, or I had thought it was great uh, that Twitter was, uh, was trying all these things uh, after many years of doing practically nothing uh, with the service, you know, just letting it stagnate. Now it seems to me that they're maybe throwing some things against the wall uh, with with all the audio stuff and uh, the these premium content and uh, newsletters and you know many of the other things that we've discussed uh, on the service. Uh, they're getting more aggressive about business profiles uh, now. Um, so uh, you know clearly, uh, Sean, you've you've talked many times. On the podcast about how the the audience numbers for these services have you know kind of kind of flattened out uh, at least for Twitter you know it's never going to be the the size of Facebook in terms of uh, uh, the overall audience and uh, a lot of the challenges around uh, advertising that we're seeing uh, in this post cookie world and in, in a world where Apple is doing so much to uh, uh, make it difficult to uh, track uh, users on, uh, on on their platforms. 
Uh, so uh, it, it just seems like, a, you know, like a bit of a scramble. Uh, I'm not disparaging any of the individual moves. I think something like super follows makes sense if you're a big celebrity, you know, with a, with a million followers, uh, you know, uh, why shouldn't you be able to monetize that, uh, whether you're on Instagram or, or Twitter uh, directly, as opposed to having to rely on, um, you know, commerce and, and indirectly uh, funding, funding the presence. So, so I think there are some good ideas there. I just really don't see any consistent strategy. It's just throwing stuff against the wall. Uh, but as you mentioned, we're seeing that from a lot of the services, a lot of the services trying a lot of different things. So, yeah. And we see that from, you know, from others as well. So we saw, um, we've been talking on the podcast in the last couple of weeks, a lot about what's going on with discord. And we mentioned last week that, uh, YouTube, had forced the shutdown of two popular music bots that were on Discord. This week, we saw that Discord is testing a service they call Watch Together. It's actually something, a feature that they had experimented with in the past. They had essentially turned it off. They've turned it back on. Now, it's a feature that lets members broadcast YouTube videos. Uh, And at the same time, uh, Roblox is introducing music listening parties, starting with, with new albums. And so you're seeing them look at ways of building community on their uh, own platform as well. Um, And so, you know, I think there's a a desire to try to build some community there. There's also some features we're seeing from Discord that will help people find uh, new communities to join uh, because it isn't like uh, quite set up like Twitter or some of these other platforms. So at first it can be a little daunting to find the community you're looking to join if you don't know exactly where you're going. So that that discovery element, I think, is something they're also uh, working on. Yeah, we uh, we hear a lot about how Facebook is trying to take the lead in delivering the metaverse. Uh, and of course, you know, from a VR perspective, uh, they're in a pretty good position Although it's an early position right now with uh, with Oculus, uh, and uh, how they've been trying to facilitate more one-on-one, smaller transaction, uh, smaller interactions, smaller group interactions. Uh, this week lost a little bit under all the Microsoft news. Uh, they released a, a portable version of their Portal uh, Go, which is kind of a you might call it like a video conferencing appliance. Uh, it, of course, supports Messenger uh, and uh, some third-party services as well as some other things like Netflix. But uh, it's really, uh, you know, it's really not trying to be a full-featured uh, tablet. Um, you know, it strikes me as the kind of thing that, you know, you could give to, say, you know, a, a grandparent uh, as a way to more easily uh, and simply uh, keep in touch with uh, with the kids, uh, but when I think about you know what the this metaverse world might look like, uh, it seems to me that these massively multiplayer games, uh, Roblox and Fortnite, and and even some of the uh, Niantic stuff like Pokemon Go, uh, seem to be embracing that that culture uh, a, a lot better. Than, uh, than Facebook is right now. So uh, maybe maybe they go in and swoop up 
uh, one of these guys. Uh, and they already have the community, but today I don't, I don't know if they necessarily have the application. And I think it'll be tough for Facebook to, uh, scoop up anybody with the screen well, especially that, discord you that's know, right on the chat front for sure yeah that, that, that given the scrutiny they're given on the antitrust side uh it'll be tough and that's probably why you see facebook trying to to build out things on their own through their own services and also more tightly integrating the services that they have uh, to your point the portal go and the portal plus device seem like great devices for a narrow set of use cases. And uh, that, you know, in a world where we're getting quite accustomed to having devices that are essentially Swiss Army knives, where we can do a lot of things, where they have an app store behind them, so we can we can load a lot of different applications and use it in a lot of different ways, it seems to make more sense. You, you can envision giving portal maybe it's a portal go maybe portal plus to uh, to a grandparent and then you know m- maybe a child has a device that has more functionality in it or or maybe you don't want them to have all that functionality you want them to have a scaled down uh, communication device so uh, yeah it- but you know now now that we say that uh, just sort of thinking about the history of let's call it granny tech uh, you know, it's, it's not, it's not been a great history. I, I think about products like web TV, and then there was that printer that printed out your emails, uh, that connected directly, uh, to, to the network. Uh, and yeah, you know, they all have this use case of letting the non-tech savvy, you know, grandparent, uh, uh, uh many of the like picture frames, um, out there, sort of the same proposition. Uh, but look, you know, I, I think a lot of those Presto was the name of the printer, I believe. Uh, but a lot of a lot of those products were from startups, uh, and they certainly did not have uh, the the staying power uh, and patience, marketplace patience uh, that uh, that Facebook has. So I, I tend to think there's there's a bigger plan there. And we did see other rumors around hardware this week coming out of Amazon. They're apparently working on an, a number of devices, including an Alexa-powered soundbar and a wall-mounted Echo. Uh, they see it as kind of a dashboard to the smart home where you have it connected to all of your devices. I, I still kind of like the idea of a uh, low-priced you know, picture frame that's got uh, greater connectivity that could be a dashboard into the smart home, but could also show uh, photos or, or other videos in, in the background. Uh, so I, I think that that's an interesting application. I could see Amazon uh, doing well there. And um, so we, we, we could have uh, Amazon, official Amazon announcement in the weeks ahead with some, uh, some announcements of new products headed into the holiday season. And Ross, as you and I talked about in, in last week's episode, when we talked about the uh, iPhone announcement, we'll probably have another Apple event as well with Mac announcements. You noted that uh, Macs are on sale uh, for $150 off. <laughs> Sean, so that's you, you got to give them the affiliate code. You can't, yeah. you can't just tell them that. So. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, a sign that more is to come. Uh, one other story we we saw in uh, the world of social is that Google is in quiet talks with uh, ByteDance and Facebook to index 
and rank TikTok and Instagram videos. So uh, we see that TikTok videos get shared a lot and you send direct links to one another. But if you want to try to find a video that's popular or being talked about without a link, it can often be quite problematic to find it. Uh, Google obviously wants to play a central role in helping you find those uh, those videos. And so they're working to index and, and rank those videos so that you can easily find them when you when you search for them. And, and this looks to me, again, kind of like a maturing of that ecosystem. When Google starts to rank and index content, you know that the platform is is maturing and going to allow other people to find it be interesting to see how far back they go if you know if they try to index uh the history and if we see a lot of older videos get surfaced as a result of of that effort yeah i mean it's it's certainly noteworthy when the the idea that facebook and google uh might be cooperating on something but uh I, i would say that the Huge crackdowns that we're seeing on on internet advertising uh, may be dampening the uh, rivalry uh, that they have uh, long had, uh, and uh, yeah, uh, certainly from Facebook's perspective, they they really want to ensure that Instagram is in the mix uh, when people are thinking about TikTok videos. They want to stay. They want Instagram to stay competitive and relevant. Uh, in competing with TikTok. So that would be a powerful motivator for them. Uh, it would also be interesting, I think, to see if Facebook would would try to insist on, uh, as, as a bargaining chip there, better uh, coverage of uh, or indexing of Facebook watch uh, videos uh, and whether uh, Google would uh, would be willing to do that uh, even, uh, even as uh, Facebook watch is a competitor to, uh, to YouTube. Facebook did for a period make a very big push in video. It does seem like it's still a priority sure. and probably gets wrapped into the metaverse as they you know, try to build that out. And t- to your point, we, we did see uh, this week that Facebook said that Apple's uh, ATT changes will continue to cause headwinds in the quarter ahead and they think it will um, you know, I- impact them. So they're definitely looking for revenue opportunities outside of their traditional advertising markets. Another motivator for Google uh, in highlighting these kinds of short videos from uh, TikTok and Instagram uh, would also be to get their own YouTube shorts clips uh, more into the mix. So uh, in uh, even, even in trying to raise the profile of competitors, uh, there might be an opportunity to promote their attempt to catch up uh, with TikTok. I think that's a great point, Ross. Uh, they have clearly made major investments there. And and I've seen it with my own kids that uh, they've made some inroads, certainly with my youngest son, who tends to watch more YouTube than the rest of the family. He has uh, definitely gravitated towards YouTube shorts over other videos. What's interesting is a lot of those shorts are reposted TikTok sure, videos. Sure. So he, he doesn't necessarily connect that what he's really watching on YouTube shorts is, is TikTok videos. And um, so we'll see how that, uh, you know, that plays out. In other uh, Facebook news, you can't have a week without just a little bit of nefarious Facebook news. (laughs) 
The New York Times reported that last month, Mark Zuckerberg agreed to show users positive stories about Facebook in the news feed. And uh, Facebook says that it ran a small test with labeled posts. So Facebook feeling the pressure that people uh, don't have a positive enough opinion of Facebook. How are they going to turn that around? Why don't they take the best positive Facebook stories they can find and cram them into your news feed so that you can get more exposure to positive stories about Facebook? Yeah, I mean, clearly this is the kind of thing that... Uh raises hackles uh, in, uh, in Washington. Uh, and uh, I thought, you know, some of the backstory was very interesting, just from kind of a positioning standpoint about, you know, no more Mr. Nice Zuck, uh, and he wasn't going to be contrite anymore, uh, and uh, wasn't going to be all apologetic anymore. And uh, it's interesting also that uh, Cheryl, uh, you know, um, Oh, Sandberg. So Cheryl Sandberg, you know, has become kind of the the new empathy face uh, for, uh, for, uh, for for the company, uh, which uh, arguably she uh, she could do a better better job of, uh, although it's you know kind of a low bar. So uh, you know we'll we'll have to see where this goes. I, I wonder if it moved the needle. Uh, I wonder if if the experiment went on long enough that they were able to see whether folks who were exposed to this actually had uh, a better opinion of Facebook. Um, so that, that, that would be my question, whether it worked. Although I think it would depend a lot on the demographic, uh, but we have certainly seen the power that Facebook has to, to sway opinion. So presumably uh, they would be able to effectively do it about themselves. Well, it's funny you ask that, Ross, because I've noticed all these positive stories in my Facebook feed, and I was feeling much more positive about Facebook after reading all these stories until I read the story that all mm. of those uh, articles had been crammed in there to right. make me feel better about Interesting. Facebook. Too. Interesting. Uh, uh, and, our, and our final story of the news breaking on the last day of the week, we saw that China's central bank says all crypto currency-related activities will be prohibited, and overseas crypto exchanges providing services in mainland China are now illegal. Uh, China has been cracking down on all aspects many of- Many things, of, yes. Yeah, of many things, definitely in the, in the tech space, but crypto in particular over many years as they've worked to battle that. And, and it comes down to, I think, control over- uh, ex exchange and control over transactions in mainland China and wanting to be able to have control over that. Also, they want to obviously be able to have some control over the uh, the f currency float and be able to control uh, that and not have what could be a, a parallel currency that becomes widely used in that country. So it will be interesting to see how strictly this is enforced and how things change. But uh, we close the week out with pretty negative news, at least temporarily for cryptocurrencies. And we saw many of them trading down in price today. Uh, any, uh, Sean, with your economist hat on, any, any long-term implications uh, you can see if, if they're sort of this dead zone uh, and, and crypto continues to get more popular? I think there are a couple of potential 
fallouts from this. We could see other countries follow suit. Mm-hmm. So especially in uh, throughout Asia, if other countries say, okay, what, what are they doing here? We should follow suit with that. And they do tend to follow China's lead. Some of the, some of the neighboring countries will follow China's lead when it comes to uh, these type of, of rules. Uh, the flip side is cryptocurrency makes a lot of sense for countries that have hyperinflation or high levels of inflation where your purchasing power ends up being erased by fiscal policy that you have no control over. So you think about you know, Argentina or some of these other countries in, in uh, South America. It does make a lot of sense to use an alternative mechanism of, of value and a, an alternative mechanism of exchange if you're trying to maintain your purchasing power. And so I, I think there's still a lot of momentum for other nations to to use it. But we we may see a few follow China's lead. And I think here in the U.S., there's still a, a lot uh, that will materialize this year and into next year. The head of the SEC really, you know, wrote wrote the class on uh, cryptocurrency, but we haven't seen the SEC make any major rulings or announcements. Um, And I think they are educating themselves and and getting up to speed on crypto. So we might see some more there. This week, we did see an announcement from the Biden administration about who might be the incoming chair of the uh, office of the comptroller of the currency. And so... Uh, you know, we we may see some more strict views of crypto there, and and I think countries that are looking at stable coins that are uh, aligned with their own currency might look less favorably on on some of the uh, alternatives as well. So, I think it's still very early on. We'll see what uh, you know what what is to come, but it is clear as we've been talking about on the podcast now for many months that uh, China is uh, quickly moving itself away from a progressive country that embraces innovation and technology and is looking to, uh, to take greater control over the reins and really lock down what users are able to do. Probably a good place to end this week's episode of Techspansive. Again, I'm Sean Dubervac at Avrio Institute, and you can find me on Twitter at Sean Dubervac. And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin, 